Okay, a little pop quiz. And this is just the first of the pop quizzes, as you see, because we're not going very far. But uh, what is theology? Study of God. Study of God. From the Greek word, theo, right? God, theo, and ology, to do with study. It'd be like the word or study. So when we study the doctrine of God, we called it theology proper, remember? And we said some things about God. Um, what's something very basic about God is how many gods are there? Only one. And um, so we talk about this whole thing about the Trinity. What's the doctrine of the Trinity? Three persons in one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do we know it's not just three, um, three different ways God reveals himself? Sometimes it's Father, sometimes it's Son, sometimes it's the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Where was that? I'll give you a hint. The baptism of Jesus. Okay. There you go. It's the baptism of Jesus. That's a That's pretty good hint. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Um, you certainly see it at the birth of Jesus when uh, the angel comes to speak to Mary and says, you know, this is the will of uh, Father in heaven and uh, the, the power over, uh, of Almighty will come over you and you'll give a birth. You'll be called the Son of the Most High. He talks about the Spirit is in, involved there as well in Luke chapter 1. The angels. So you see it there. You see the three persons of the Trinity being involved. See the three persons of the Trinity in the apostolic benediction. Does anybody know where that is? Second Corinthians 13, 14. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. I got a reference. <laughs> On with uh, a little bit more um, the doctrine of uh, Christ. We call it Christology. And when we talk about the person of Jesus, we say that he that uh, there was an incarnation. What is the doctrine of the incarnation? God coming in the flesh. Right? And so... So when Jesus comes in the flesh, he's half God and half man, right? No. All God and all man, right? And um, why was it why was it necessary? Well, let's let's move on. What is man's greatest problem? Sin. We're falling in sin. Are all men falling in sin? All men. All men. And how come? Adam's sin. He sinned. Yeah, Adam's sin. And what do we say about Adam's sin? In Romans chapter 5, what? In him and all men fell. In Adam. We see that in Romans chapter 5. Um, and so that's. Uh, so what, what, what does God do about man's greatest problem that we're all falling in now? God's Jesus comes. <laughs> Uh, Jesus comes as God incarnate. Why did he have to come as God incarnate? Why did he have to take on human flesh? Only uh, human flesh could, could solve man's greatest problem, which on, is sin. Only, 
only man can pay for man's sin. And why do you have to be God? Only God is perfect. Okay. Now, in part of this, we talk about what part of this is, is doing. Um, God looks at man for whom he's used Christ to take care of our problems. And we say he justifies us. What does justification mean? It is. We're, we're, he looks at us just as if we've never sinned. It's a judgment. It's a judgment. It yeah, is. You are free and clear. Like you're no longer tainted with sin. Right. It's, it's God, the judge of all the universe, looking at believers in Christ and saying, You are just. You are righteous. How, how did that happen? How did it happen that he would call me just? Christ's righteousness has been imputed to me. And so this is the this is uh, what is the basis of man's justification. Christ's righteousness is imputed to me. But there's another imputation that takes place. Actually two more. What are the other two imputations that take place? His sin was transferred to us. Yes. Our sin was Right, so our sins were imputed to him on the cross and he takes them on himself and he pays for them. In exchange, his righteousness is imputed to us, but there was one other imputation that takes place before either one of those. We've already talked about it briefly. We didn't mention that it was imputation. God put on flesh? No. God's judgment. There was another imputation. What is imputation here? Adam's. Sin was imputed to us. Adam's sin was imputed to every one of us. Thus, we have that sin. Christ, our sins, Adam's sin, imputed to Christ on the, on the cross, and his righteousness imputed to us. Y'all did pretty good. Pretty good. So we'll, we'll continue with some uh, pop quizzes in weeks to come, just kind of seeing how much you remember about our year of systematic theology. Okay. Tonight we are. Do I? <laughs> um, tonight I want us to uh, begin. We're, we're going to do some character studies. Um, we'll spend um, at least a couple of nights on this first uh, character. Um, we're going to spend uh, maybe one or two nights on, on several others as we go through this study. But tonight, um, I want us to begin, so if you would open your Bibles, to Genesis chapter 11. I bet you every one of you could tell me, since we're starting at the end of chapter 11, who the character study is going to be on. Well, we'll see. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 27, and we're going to read on through... Uh, chapter 11, uh, chapter 12, verse 4. This is the account of Terah. Terah, not Terror, but Terah, uh, became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran uh, became the father of Lot. While his father, Terah, was still alive, Haran uh, died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram Abram and Nahor both married. 
the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Um, she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and uh, Issachar. Now, you know, I've seen people use biblical names for children before, but I've never seen them use those. Anyway, now, now Sarai was barren, and she had no children. Terran, Terah uh, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Aram, uh, Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father, your household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, one of the most important characters in all of the Bible. In fact, James Boyce says, apart from Jesus Christ, Abraham is probably the most important person in all the Bible. He is, in, uh, you know, certainly, I, I think you would have to say more important than Moses, even though Moses was very important uh, in the household of God. But Abraham was before and, and really started the, the whole uh, family of God thing going here. And so he's more important than uh, Moses. He's more important than David, though David is very important as well. And, uh, and we see uh, his importance um, not only as the father of the Jewish nation, we see him in the New Testament as a prime example of faith. Remember when uh, in Romans, when Paul is uh, talking about that uh, we are justified by faith and not by works. Who does he use as an example of it? Abraham. And he goes actually to another passage we're going to look at tonight briefly because it'll be the main passage in another study on Abraham. But um, he says, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. So uh, Paul uses uh, um, Abraham as, you know, the prime example of faith uh, throughout the New Testament. James does as well. You know, in, in James, uh, I believe it's chapter 2, where he says, you know, uh, our father Abraham, he believed, and, uh, but his belief, and you see it, uh, Paul's talking about um, Genesis 15, James is talking about Genesis 22, when Abraham shows his faith by going and being willing to sacrifice uh, his son. Uh, the author of Hebrews uses Abraham as uh, an example of faith as well as our prime example of faith, if you will, even the author of Hebrews. Um, now, this has incredible implications for us as well. Hold your place here in, uh, in Genesis um, chapter 12 and turn with me over to the New Testament to Galatians chapter 3 in Galatians chapter 3 uh, Paul has been talking about uh, 
the fact that uh, there is one church and um, Abraham believed and God created to him as righteousness there in verse 6 and that uh, if we believe as Abraham did it was credited to us as righteousness just like that he goes on and we down at the last uh, paragraph uh, of that chapter Galatians 3 beginning in verse 26 you all you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we're all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul tells us that if we're Christians by virtue of the faith that we have in Christ, um, it's the kind of faith that Abraham had. And therefore... Um, we are children of Abraham. And so, yeah, Abraham means a lot to It should mean a whole lot to us as Christians as well. He's not just for those who are physically descended from him. It's for all of us who are of the same spiritual uh, household as well. Abraham is very important to us. Um, and so we may remember the song we learned in VBS years ago. Mm. Father Abraham and many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so were you. So let's all praise the Lord. And then it goes on. But it's true, right? Paul tells us if we are children of Christ, if we are believers in Christ, and we are children of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. And so with that in mind, I want us to uh, look uh, a little bit uh, more at some of the things of this, uh, this guy who was... Uh, the father of the faithful, the father of the Jewish nation, and the father of Christians who believe in Christ as well. Um, I want us to look at his background. Where did he come from? Yes, so hold your place there in Genesis again. Turn with me over to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24, towards the end of the book of Joshua. Look with me in verse 20, 20 uh, excuse me, Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago, long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. This is, this is how he, he grew up. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him out, uh, led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants and so on. And then down in verse 14, I believe it is, yes, verse 14. Uh, Joshua here commending the people again at the end he says now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord background for Abraham um, he and his family there were idol worshipers it didn't it didn't stop for them 
uh, after Abraham left. It continued on. We see this and we know this because we can look in uh, Genesis 31. Remember what's going on in Genesis 31, maybe? Um, I think we talked about it a little bit last week and uh, maybe even some this morning. In Genesis 31, Jacob, uh, of course, had to flee because his brother was going to kill him, right? So he flees to uh, Uncle Laban. And Uncle Laban puts him to work for him, and he works for him for 14 years, and then longer after that, and the relationship starts going south and sour. And so uh, Jacob decides, I'm going to have to get out of here, and I'm going to take my wives and children with me. And uh, so he, he kind of sneaks off, and... Uh, as he, as he sneaks, as, as they're leaving, Laban's out of town. Look at me in verses uh, 17 through 19. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padan Aram uh, to go to his uh, father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to share his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. <laughs> She, they, they still had household gods. They were still living in idolatry. This is years after Abraham has gone, and it's still going on there. And this is what uh, uh, Joshua tells the people. You know, you need to, you need to get away from this. Um, and so God takes one who is coming from a line of idolaters to begin this thing with this, this family. He takes him out of that and says, I'm going to build out of you my family. All right? Well, that's kind of an interesting thing. Why would, God, why would God do that? We want to think, well, it's because we have made all these moves towards God. I saw a picture. If I had thought about it for just right this minute, I would have brought it and shown it to you. It's showing a picture of a skeleton, and it's kind of got the dirt all around it. and says, this is, this is John. And all John has to do is stand up and accept Jesus, and uh, you know he'll be saved. Um, but who is it that's able to take dead bones and make them live again? Only God. And so you remember in Ezekiel chapter 38, I believe it is, God takes Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones. And there's another song with that: dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones. Anyway. Uh, and, and God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And he says, only you know. And he says, you speak to them and you breathe life into them. And so the, the, he speaks to them and the Lord starts to use him. The bones start to rattle and shake. And, and they, they come to life and build a great army. Only the Lord is able to make uh, uh, dry bones come back to life. Nothing about those dry bones made the first move to God. Right? And nothing good about Abraham made the first move to God either. God saw him and said, you are the one. You are the one. Why did he do that? Why did he choose him over anybody else? Well, let's look at a few other places here. Uh, Deuteronomy. Chapter 7. This one should be easy to remember. Deuteronomy 7 7. 
the Lord comes to the people and um, he's talking about why they are his chosen people. And he said, uh, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples. You were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers uh, that he, uh, that he uh, brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery and from the power of Pharaoh. It's God's doing. God, on his own grace and his own love, deciding who is going to be his. And this is certainly the case with, with Abraham. Nothing good in his background that should suggest to God, this is the one, but it's God's own love that brings him to choose him. Well, this is the way that always that God always works uh, in salvation, isn't it? Romans uh, chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, here uh, dealing with some of uh, Abraham's grandchildren. Romans 9, verses 10 and 11, not only that, but Re uh, Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins had, were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Paul, uh, Paul tells us uh, pretty much the same thing in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We can all quote that, right? For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. It's God's doing it uh, according to his own goodwill and his own purpose. But it's not just Paul that tells us this in the New Testament. Jesus himself, these are, those, these are some of those letter, words that are in red letters, right? Or should be in red letters. Um, not the first one, but uh, uh, another passage we're going to look at. Um, but John said uh, that, uh, John 1, 12, Yet all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. God is the one who does it. And here are the words in, in red letters, uh, John chapter 6, verses 65, 66. This is, uh, he wanted to say, this is why I tell you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Oh, people do not like to hear this, do they? God gives everybody the right to come to him. But Jesus says, no, not unless my Father enables him. is the only way he will come to me. And people don't like to hear this today. Look at their reaction to it that day. Verse 66 in John 6. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Wow. Jesus, you just shouldn't talk that way. You should know better, right? I didn't know that was <laughs> <laughs> So it was a very unpopular thing. It, it is very unpopular for us to say that God would choose who he wants to, and he doesn't look at us and choose us like we would choose a team for kickball, right? He chooses us uh, not on the basis of anything good or right within us, 
but upon his own goodness and his, his love and mercy. And um, he chooses us. He gives us his grace and the faith to believe. Now, this is what he did with Abraham, too. And so it's kind of, it seems like a very good start for Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, the Lord came, uh, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now that seems to be a pretty, pretty tough call, you know, but he's, he's obviously able to say, you're the one who should be able to tell me. And so he does it, and, and uh, the Lord promises him, I will make uh, you into a great nation, I will bless you, and I will, bless your, and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out of Haran. Um, it seems to me that's a pretty good start. First time you hear the Lord call you and make your, these promises to you, you go, okay, this sounds good. Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to do what you said you were going to do. And I'm going to go ahead and follow. But I, I, I think Abraham, um, this great man of faith, he begins to do some things. And you go, wait a minute. You could do this, but you can't trust God for this. Look at it. Is it right in the same chapter. In the same chapter, um, down in verse 10. He gets to Egypt. Now, now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live uh, there for a while because of the famine was severe. As, uh, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I, I know that you're a beautiful woman. She's 65 at this time. Man. Anyway, I know that you are beautiful. I know what a beautiful woman you are, and the Egyptians will see you, and they will say, this is his wife then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and, and my life will be spared because of you. The same God that calls him to do this is not able to protect him, but yet he's, he's thinking, oh, my wife, you go out in front of the, the, the army for me. <laughs> you face that, that bear's coming out, get her, get that bear, you know, push her out there. Sam's going with me on my next major camping trip. <laughs> what? Huh? So he, 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 he lies about her, right? And uh, sure enough, uh, um, ver, uh, verse 14, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Big mistake. Uh, he, treated, he treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, uh, males and female donkeys, men servants, maid servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram uh, to his men, and, uh, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Here, pagan king is having to chastise him for, you know, 
for doing this, for making up this lie, not trusting your God to be able to protect you from me. That's, that's kind of silly. And you would think, well, maybe he learned his lesson, but alas, in chapter 20, Genesis chapter 20, um, first verses, and Abraham moved, uh, God's already given him his new name, and Abraham moved from there into the region of the Negev and uh, lived between Kadesh and Sir. For a while he stayed in Gerar, uh, and there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Um, then Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream uh, one night and said to him, you're as good as dead because you took the woman, because the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. And Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister, and didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And God said, to him in the dream, yes, I know you did it with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. Uh, that is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for she is a, uh, for he is a prophet, and and he will pay you, uh, and you will leave. Oh, and he will pray for you, and you will leave. Thank you. But uh, if you do not return her. You may be as sure it, you may be sure that you and all yours will die very early the next morning. Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when they uh, all when when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abram in and said, "What have you done to us? How have I wronged you uh, that you brought such a great guilt upon me in my kingdom? You have done these things." Uh, to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing it? And he goes on and says, well, I thought you'd, you'd kill me. So he doesn't quite learn at that point. It doesn't seem he, he does the same thing twice. Um, and God still protected him, right? Even when his faith was weak, God still protects him. And uh, it's interesting that his son didn't fall far from the apple tree, did he? Isaac does the same thing uh, with Rebecca a little bit later. But anyway, um, and so here we see some kind of a, a questioning. Uh, yeah, I've got faith. It seemed to be pretty strong faith, calling you at 75 to move and leave your family and say, yes, I'll go. But then he seems to be showing, expressing signs of not so much faith. And then there's this big battle, you know, about in Genesis uh, 14. In Genesis 15, uh, Abraham doesn't receive any of the booty from the battle that he's won. In Genesis 15, uh, the Lord comes to him and says, I'm your shield, I'm your very great reward. And you remember what he says? How can I be sure that, uh, that you're, you're going to fulfill your promises to me since the servant in my household is going to be the one who receives everything that I have? I don't have any children. And that's when the Lord takes him out and shows him the stars in the sky. And he says, count them if you can. And of course he can't. He says, so will your offspring be. And at that point in Genesis 15, 6, I believe it is, is where um, we're told that uh, 
Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was still, uh, up to this point, still thinking, I know, God, you promised it, but I'm not seeing it, and his faith was awfully weak. But when God takes him out, he looks up, he says, yeah, now I believe. It's credited to him as righteousness at that point. Now, he goes on and he tells him, you know, you're going to have a, you're going to have a child, and with this child, you know, you're going to have as many as the stars of the heavens and the seashore, that sort of thing. And the very next chapter, after Abraham has this amazing uh, being confronted with God here, and God makes a promise, and Abraham believes, it's credited to him as righteousness. This next chapter, Genesis 16, is when Sarah comes to him and says, I'm too old. I've passed that stage. The heat flashes and all that sort of stuff, you know. I can't have a baby anymore. we got to do something else. I'll, I'll give you my handmaiden, Hagar. She will have the child. will be born on my lap, and it will be mine. So, here again, we show Abraham modeling a little bit. He got faith, yeah. But... <laughs> At times it seems so strong, and other times it's like God tells him he's playing his day, and he goes ahead and does, uh, does it, it, it his own way. Um, when he listens to God, he's got all kinds of faith. When he listens to people, not so much. Yeah, or when he looks at some of the circumstances around him, not so much. Too. So um, James Boyce says, someone may say, oh, I am able to believe in the sense that you have been, exp uh, been explaining, but my faith is weak. I could become a Christian, but I'm afraid that if I do, if I start out with God as Abraham did, I will falter. <laughs> he goes on, of course you'll falter. But salvation depends not on the strength of your faith, but on, the God, but on God's overwhelming faithfulness to you. That's what we see happening in Abraham's life, isn't it? Abraham had faith. Sometimes it seemed awfully weak. He seemed like the man that came to Jesus uh, to heal his son, and he said, you know, if you have faith, um, you know, it's possible. And he says, I, I have faith. I, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? My faith is not so strong as, as I would like for it to be. <laughs> um, but finally... With Abraham and faith, we see Genesis chapter 22, a situation we mentioned again this morning in Genesis chapter 22. God comes to him and says, Abraham, you go take your son, your, your uh, son that you, your only son that you love, and you take him up to the place I'm going to show you, and he, you're going to offer him as a sacrifice to me there. Abraham rises early in the morning. I'm going to dilly-dally about it. Rises early. Let's go ahead and get this over with and goes up, and on the way up, when his son asked him, of course, where is the sacrifice, and he says, God is able to provide, or God will provide, he's certainly showing his faith there, isn't he? And as he puts Isaac on the, on the altar and raises the knife, fully intending to plunge it into his chest, he knows that God is going to do something miraculous, and he doesn't have to question what it is author of Hebrews says that he, he reasons that God could bring 
the dead back to life. And in a sense, he did get Isaac back from the dead there. And so um, it's, it's not really the amount of faith that we have. It's in the one that we have the faith in. And I think that that's what uh, uh, Abraham finally came to see. And he finally came to see that, yeah, I can trust him completely, totally. And um, it wasn't what he started out with, but the God who called him, the God who loved him, the God who guided him, and the God, God who kept him from making uh, such, well, he made the mistakes, but God kept it from becoming uh, uh, just a catastrophe. Uh, that God he's finally able to trust and say, I can give him everything that I have and trust him with. And uh, that's, that's what we can do too. We can put our total and complete trust in Jesus. Yeah, God does that. God does make a blessing out of our mistakes so often. And, um, so anyway, so that's, that's just kind of the beginning on Abraham. And we're going to look at uh, him again next week and maybe the next week. Are definitely going to look at him next week. We're going to look at what uh, I was in seminary. I hate to say it because I grew up in the church. I grew up in church and a good church. Taught the Bible on a regular basis. I went to Bible college for four years, and I went off to seminary. Finally, some one of my professors was talking about Genesis 15. And my world was revolutionized. I hate to say it took that long, but uh, that's what we're going to be looking at primarily next week is uh, Genesis. Did I say Revelation? <laughs> no, I said Genesis. Good. Okay. Genesis. We'll, we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 15 next week and uh, talking about God making a covenant with Abraham. God 